You're listening to Two Tape Decks and a Mixing Board, a podcast about life through the lens of music. Welcome to the show. I'm Jay Mack, deep within my subterranean bunker in St. Louis, Missouri. And Sam Wade out in Los Angeles, California at Recent Future Studio. We got an amazing show. We're going to drop some science on some people. I can't wait to uh, to get to this. We're going to talk a little bit about our EP, Tomorrow Never Knows, number one. And we're going to we're gonna actually feature a track off that today, The Drifter. But before we get to that, I want Sam Wade in L.A., Los Angeles, California, to give us a little info on where we can get that. I mean, I know where to get it, but where other people can get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you can get the. It's it's called it's called number one. The band is called Tomorrow Never Knows. Yes, you, it's actually out on uh, every uh, major streaming service. So it makes it super easy to find. It's on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon. It's going to be on Tidal soon. If anybody's still using that, um, it's on SoundCloud and Bandcamp, and uh, you can also get to our stuff really quickly by going to tnksongs.com. So you can find it there. And this was one of the most fun projects I've ever been associated with. I got to tell you, just right off the bat, we've talked about it before, but we basically went back to our childhood songs, which a couple of them were surprisingly good, and The Drifter was one of the standouts. And yeah, we, that's true. And we thought, well, why don't we re-record them and see if there's anything there? There was, in fact, some really good stuff, and I think it was it was mastered at Abbey Road. That probably helped, but... Sam did an amazing job on mixing. I did an amazing job on everything else I did. <laughs> you did an amazing job, man. Thank you. Uh, but let's just go ahead and set up this song. This was The Drifter. And Sam, you wrote this one, and you wrote it as a response to one of my songs. We can, we're can we going to tease that and get into that on another podcast. But why don't you just set up the origin of this song, where you wrote it, why you wrote it, and explain how something this cool came out of a brain of a 14-year-old. I don't know if I can answer that part of it. Uh, it still kind of mystifies me. Um, so uh, at the time, you know, you had written a song called uh, Alone on the Moon. We actually recorded that on this EP too, if you want to hear it before. We actually talk about it. You can find it at those places we mentioned earlier. Um, but you had written that and you came back and uh, and I thought it was super cool that you were singing about space and uh, it it kind of gave me an idea. And I think at that point you coined the phrase, cosmic alternative which we kind of use to describe this this the sound um what we saying about space and kind of science fictiony things so i was like i'm gonna write one of these songs and uh i was like i'm gonna go and see i mean and at this point i had probably written maybe maybe 10 songs in my life um but i was really excited about it and i just remember uh, the only thing i knew how to play at the time was piano and we were also really influenced uh, by the Beatles. And I was just trying to find something weird. Just make it sound weird. Like losing this guy with diamonds. Yes. Yes. Well, you did a great job on it. In fact, I've told you before, the chord progression that you used initially sounds simple. But as the song plays out, you go into some really weird directions. And as if that isn't weird enough, then when, when the lyrics start falling on the track it's it's pretty otherworldly and i know people are gonna say come on you guys did drugs you guys were on drugs we we i don't even think we really knew exactly which drugs to take if we wanted to get this kind of thing you know what i'm saying 
Oh yeah, there's no way we even had access to that stuff at that point in our lives. I mean, I guess we could have could have found it if we really, really sought it out. But like, what? I was 14 at the time. You were, I think, 15, maybe 16, and uh, we just wanted to make some some cool music. And I just remember, like, I, I sat there for a long time just trying weird combinations of notes. And uh, w- listening to it now, though, I agree. Like, it was kind of more than the sum of its parts. I'm not sure how it happened. Um, but now I listen to it and I'm like, damn, I want to write more stuff like that now. <laughs> yeah, well, why don't we go ahead and, and play a clip of it and then we'll talk about the process of recording it and some of the little technical details of that. Because I mean, I love recording talk. I love finding out how people did stuff. So go ahead and go ahead and roll it and then we'll talk about it. All right. So we're playing uh, the finished version from Tomorrow Never Knows EP, correct? Yes. All right. All right, here's the drifter.
First thought when I hear that is outer space, like a spaceship adrift. It It's very atmospheric. And I got to tell you, more than the Beatles, I hear Pink Floyd in it. Yeah, I I agree with that. I don't think uh, I noticed that while we were making it. I, actually, I think for me it was when I did the guitar part that sounds like it's going through a spinning speaker. That's when I was like, okay, this has a little bit of Dark Side of the Moon in it. Well, and that's that, and I don't even think I was not really aware of Pink Floyd at that time. But I got to tell you, we didn't we didn't actively seek to put a Pink Floyd spin on this version of it. But it really does have that. And, and I will say. That for me, tracking that sitar, even though it was pretty simple, was so much fun to to marry that kind of instrument to that kind of spacey um, sound. What did I say in the press release? It was like journey from the mountains of India to outer space or something like that. It was it was pretty dramatic how I phrased it. Yeah, but I but I like it. I, I think it actually is a pretty good description of what we did, and and really kind of what we continue to do with our music. Um, uh, so that's that's. I can get behind that description. I'm now, good with that. Now, one of the cool things that I guess only tech junkies would really appreciate or, or get was the guitar solo was you was using my I got a, a guitar that actually looks cheap but is actually very well. It's a good guitar. It's an Aria Pro, but I used a, a stomp box for those of you who don't know. It's a little effect box that you put on the ground so you can step on it and make effects for your guitar. It was called a phaser. Now, I remember going to Dale's Music over in North St. Louis County off of Limburg, for those of you from the area. Good old Dale's. And I went and I I, I was going to get, a, a, a I think, like a delay pedal, but I immediately saw the phaser and was like, hmm, that sounds expensive and weird. So I ended up getting an effect that you really can't use on that much stuff, but it was the most dramatic effect they had. So for, like bang for my buck, the phaser was really going to give me a lot of wow factor and it shows up in many of our early recordings in fact i believe it's in the original recording of the drifter that we did in like 94 or something am i right that's the thing um that on on our original recording of it um that actually makes it a song that stands out to me like that sound of that pedal you know to me sounds like what we would call cosmic alternative like that's part of the sound that inspired us to do weird things right yeah now i mean to explain the term cosmic alternative at the time everything would like like the radio stations were like we are the alternative we are the alternative music and i thought well what we're doing is definitely alternative to everything but it's it's definitely not like pearl jam or Soundgarden. it's it's spacey so i thought we can't can't call it space alternative so i thought Cosmic sounds kind of heady, which the the sign off of our show now is "Stay Cosmic," and that's where we got it. I, did I come up with the name? I I, I thought I don't know. It seems it seemed to remember we both kind of like put our our teenage heads together and came up with that. I mean, it could be the way I remember it is you coming up with the phrase "cosmic alternative." I think when we were originally listening to "Alone on the Moon." Right. I that's the way I remember it, but you know, how long ago was that? <laughs> yeah, and we we will get to Alone on the Moon on the, on another podcast. Uh I, I just I just kind of want to savor the moment with this. Now, explain your approach to recording this because how we did it is similar and very different at the same time from the original version. It's a piano-heavy song. How did I mean, my thought was how did you I didn't understand how you're going to work in the drums, but the drums are ve- they're there, but they're very um, they're very understated. 
Well, uh, thanks for noticing, J-Mac. Yes, I do. I do notice stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I guess I guess we'll end up giving away all of our secrets and, sure. and little tricks and sure. and uh, and things on this, which is part of the fun. Um, I like learning about how people do things, and you know, just like you mentioned, how how things happen, especially in the studio. And for me, the drums, to be completely honest, I was just trying to sound kind of like what I imagine Ringo might play on A Day in the Life or, you know, something like that. Like I wanted the drums to carry it and push it forward, but not stand out because really like the sitar and some of the other um, pieces needed to be highlighted in the song, you know, just just like a foundation. Well, and what I also noticed about this track was it was just very atmospheric, which I love. I mean... It, I mean, it almost could have been a film score, um, and I really dug the vibe we got. But but beyond that, it was a very fun song to do. Like, and I remember um, I did the lead, and I remember doing the lead and not being really happy with what I had sent you. But I kind of just wanted to give you a vibe on what we what I was doing. But the phaser pedal is a monster of of its own mind, and sometimes you you try to muscle it, and it, it will not be muscled. It's a very strong effect that you have just got to learn to like flow with. Go with it's its own thing. Go with the phase, not against the phase. I like that. Go with the phase. Why don't we play the original one now, and then that that will really have something to talk about because this. This song goes back quite a ways, and I know, I know when you hear it, you're gonna say, "Yeah, yeah, this is drugs." You got it. You got into your dad's stash, <laughs> or you took some Nyquil. You, you guys did something. No, we did nothing. I guess I'm amazed at my own, at our own ingenuity, but it really is something. You know, I mean, I guess there's something to to be said, being said, where you don't write the songs you're given them. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, I, I actually, I, I really do believe that about creating music. I don't know if it's this way for everybody. Um, I know for me, I describe it, I'm going to get a little philosophical here for songwriting. I'll just say this real quick before we play it. Cause I think this was one of the first times in my songwriting life that it happened for me was with this song. And that was, I kind of imagine above my head that there's like this river of creativity that's constantly flowing above me. And for whatever reason, I take, you know, like a ladle and I dip it into the stream that's flowing above my head and pull it down. And creating is that way for me. And I think that what was interesting about this song is that, uh, I don't know, I, I tapped into something. I didn't realize that I was writing a song that also could be about the great journey of life, right? When I wrote it, I was just trying to sound weird, but then there's like this deeper meaning hidden in it that you discover after you've lived a little bit. So I'm really proud of that. I don't know if you can tell that in this original recording though, J-Mac. Like uh, it's going to sound weird, but I don't know that it's deep. What do no, you think? Uh, it was deep, but I mean, at the time I felt like I was listening to something that might've meant something else, but I was so up my own butt. I couldn't, you know what I'm saying? I couldn't really, <laughs> I didn't really know what was going on. All I knew, all I knew was it was spooky and weird and sounded like outer space, which at that point, if for the, well, let's play it and we'll talk about the 90s and, and how the, the fascination with UFOs was going on around that time. And then we can kind of wrap up the show because we can get into a little 90s talk. But let's play the original Drifter. And this was this this was old. It's doesn't I guess it sounds old, like audio wise, but it doesn't sound like kids wrote it. I get behind that. OK, here it is. Here's the original Drifter. 
to say i'm speechless <laughs> that actually is pretty weird sounding here's here's the first thing i thought when i listened back to it first of all i was a lonely kid i was i didn't have a lot of friends you were one of the few ones that i had and space beyond the fact that it was kind of cool to think about with uh just the idea of being in outer space it kind of represented to me isolation it represented me being completely cut off from people not being able to relate, to relate. I don't know if it was my upbringing or just my personality, probably a combination of both. And so space was definitely a metaphor for my teenage angst. And I think that's why I was drawn initially to the idea of space. I mean, I still I still am. I still love, I mean, Star Wars is one of my favorite movies, all, all of them. Uh, I loved, like... Alien, Aliens, the two. I love space stuff. But space is very lonely and it's very isolating, but it also is very beautiful and it's very, it captures your imagination. And I think what you did in this song was you took, you took my teenage angst over space and I'm a lot more load on the moon. And you actually turned it into something I don't, it's, it's, there's a little humor in it. I got to tell you, there's a, there's a slight bit of humor. But just enough that you're you're kind of doing it and winking at people like, 
this is not a put on, but you're definitely like I'm painting a picture and I'm enjoying it. You're not you're not angsty. My songs about space tended to be angsty. This is not. This is really exciting. It makes you want to get on the spaceship and go where this guy's going, doesn't it? Yeah, I I I, I agree with that. Um, and that's interesting that that's what came out with it. Like that's what I heard in your song, you know. Um, but I think that's a good compliment to the two, you know, and I, I still think it'd be cool to release these at some point, like together as like a sides. Don't you think that'd be sweet? Oh, I mean, if, if there was like a day tripper paperback writer, uh, that we had, this would be it right here. I mean, right. Don't you think we should go and like, get it made on like a 45 and like design the album art to look like a Beatles. Single oh, absolutely. Or absolutely. Uh, but what I wanted to get into here, just to kind of, we'll end the show on this. Cause we kind of talk about like a lot of things. But the 90s were huge UFO. There was like a huge UFO frenzy. I remember the X-Files, I think, came on like 91, 92. Was, it was around there. I initially was not allowed to watch it because it was scary and there was devil shit in it. And, you know, like the whole thing. But something about the idea of little green men and spaceships zooming around in the sky, I think that, that was in the zeitgeist at the time. Uh, and I think... Maybe that's where we we got this sort of space vibe. I mean, I certainly know you weren't allowed to watch the X Files. No, I think for the same reasons. I did see some episodes, and they were pretty scary. But uh, some of those kind of freaked me out now, J Mac. If I'm being honest. Oh, I mean, I mean uh, the Dwayne Barry episode where there's the guy, the abductee, who's going going nuts, and he he like takes people hostage. And then, in fact, there's a there's a great scene, and I think it's one of the Dwayne Berry episodes where the Nick Cave song Red Right Hand is playing. Yeah, what a great song. And too. for for those of you who don't know that song, you're really missing something. It's it I would say it could be cosmic alternative. It's really almost it's really weird. It's almost like the doors meets something darker it's hard to explain but yeah look it's up nick, nick cave i mean that's just him like nick, there's no one that's like him nick cave in the bad seeds red right hand you you probably have re- you will recognize it because it was actually in hellboy a cover of it was in he- the first hellboy movie it's been around but that but that x-files episode where the guy's taking agent scully and he's got her stuffed in the trunk and he's going up this mountain meet, to meet with the aliens take a little walk in the edge of town that just great just great just a great song but what what was your what was your vibe with space why were you so inspired by space it couldn't have just been because of me there had to been something deeper with space because it still sucks me in it still sucks me in too in fact uh me and my lovely girlfriend just bought uh, a really fancy telescope so we can look at like jupiter and and Saturn and, and then you look at like deep sky objects, you know, we, we love it. It's, it's awesome to look out, you know, you're looking out, you're not looking up, you're looking out. I really love that idea. And if you know, for me though, um, that fascination actually went back, you know, when I was pretty young, um, I'm gonna tell the story real quick. So when I was a kid, our family, uh, we lived in St. Louis, Missouri. We had family in uh, Denver, Colorado. And every summer we would go out and visit uh, out there. But our car at the time, this is in the early 80s, our our car uh, didn't have air conditioning. So we would drive at night straight through. And I remember this time when I was like maybe three or four years old. I remember back that far because it made a big impact on me. We stopped in the middle of the night at a rest area. 
And uh, it was still at a time when there wasn't a lot of light pollution, right? And so this is probably like two or three in the morning. We're in a rest area. And my dad um, notices that there's a big empty field somewhere in the middle of Kansas. So there's just like no light out. And we walked about maybe 100 feet away from the rest area, from where the lights, the, the, the parking lot lights were. And he told me to look up. And I did. And that was the first time that I ever remember looking out and see the vastness of the Milky Way. He was like, that's the Milky Way. Those are all stars. And I was like, what? <laughs> it just blew my little three, four-year-old mind to outer space. And it just never left me. Um, so I think like when you brought this idea of alone on the moon, I was like instantly, I was like, yeah, I get that obviously. And then, you know, that's what happened with the drifter just kind of like was just bouncing off of your idea, really. Well, I, I know that feeling because I, I, as a kid, we went to Colorado one time and, and basically from St. Louis, you, you had to go across Missouri, which is flat. You get to Kansas, it's flat. And you don't really see, you can see the mountains coming from Colorado for, for like four hours. It takes forever to get to them. But the one thing about being out in Kansas or out in Colorado in the middle of the night you do see the stars and the in the in a way that is very it's overwhelming and i don't know if i'd done that at this point but at some point i did make the drive and also later on i went to arizona and we were on our way to this restaurant where there was a native american reenactment with drums and stuff and we stopped just I, I, I don't know. We just stopped, uh, I guess, because we were out in the middle of nowhere. And I, I thought, what would it look like? We got out. You literally can see the universe out in front of you. And it makes you feel both tiny and in- insignificant and peaceful at the same time. Because you realize, I'm nothing. I'm just part of a, I'm just a cog in a, I'm, what, what did Al Pacino say? Just spokes in a wheel on Johnny Brasco. And, and we're not even spokes in a wheel. We are literally, I don't even know if we're a speck of dust on, on, the, the, on the finger of the universe. But it's kind of comforting in a way. And there's something about, this is, sometimes I'll, I'll use this to help me fall asleep at night if I'm having trouble pulling asleep. I'll imagine I'm in the Millennium Falcon. And we're just drifting through space. No, no empire on our tail. Darth Vader's not chasing us. I'm just, I'm just chilling out. And I'm in the cockpit, and I just see the universe in front of me, and it's calming and overwhelming at the same time. It's really a weird vibe. You do, you do get a sense of your own insignificance, but somehow it's not depressing. It's exhilarating. You, you realize that you are part of something much bigger than you could possibly ever wrap your mind around. And I think that's the draw of space while it still has a draw to me. I mean, I'm, I'm working on a song now and I sent it to you and you were like, you love the metaphor that I use. We're not going to, I'm not going to say it, but the, the it's, I kind of think of it as sort of like a companion song to the drifter. I totally agree with that. So this has been a pretty exciting show. I, I love talking deep stuff with you. Yeah, uh, man, we, we, we got deep there. We started like talking about life. Like deep. Well, and here's something, and I guess I should talk about this off the air. I don't think it matters. My father-in-law might be a great guy to get on the show because he is very. I, I would. I'd say he's a cosmic guy. You know him. He's, oh yeah, he's a very. Just so you know, he's like one of my favorite teachers ever in the world. I was in his class in two years of his 
his class. And he's also another person that got me excited about the universe because he would told me about meteor showers. So that'd be an interesting conversation. Well, not only that, but he's musical. He's he had he, he used to. I mean, I don't know if he still does, but he would play songs in church, and just a really well, dude, cool. Was the, that was the thing is like he would play songs for us in class. So I would hear songs like you know, the Ballad of John Henry, and I would hear like the Green Berets. John Henry was a little baby. I walk the line. Oh yeah, like he would sing these great, and he's got a great like deep bass voice. Yeah, man, that would be fun. We should do that. And here's the thing about uh, my father-in-law he he is he's got stories. I mean, and if he'd be willing to tell him, he's got ghost stories. He's got talk about talk about a rando nodding. I think we could. I think he might live like on the rando nod app. Just. His mind is open to things in a way that I guess some people's aren't, and I guess not everybody would get it, but I totally get him. I totally get him, and I think he'd be a great guest on the show uh, between music and his, and his space stories. He, he actually, has two um, UFO stories, if yes, he remembers them. Yes. No, he told them to me. They're, they're pretty weird, dude. I mean, I, talk about goosebumps. They're pretty they're, – they're cosmic. Let, let's, let's say that. That was probably the first time I ever heard of a UFO was from his stories, actually. Do you remember the Heaven's yeah. Gate, the Heaven's Gate thing? That took UFOs real dark. Remember that? Yeah, it was like a Hale-Bopp, right? Like they they killed themselves to fly up to whatever was on Hale-Bopp? Yeah, I remember at the time I was working at the grocery warehouse, and this was again the 90s, and I'm telling you, space was everywhere, and there was a cult of people that believed that there was a spaceship following the Hale-Bopp comet, like in its tail, and the only way to join the the comet was it doesn't make sense, but to kill yourself at a certain time, and then the, then the I guess the great mind would come zap you up into the spaceship. Really, really weird. We I mean that's that's a whole other show. But that that I'm telling you, for those of you I guess the younger the younger listeners that don't really don't remember the '90s or weren't born in the early '90s. It was it was a time of really everything was UFOs and space. It was really trippy time, and I do miss the kind of innocence of that time because, like the X Files, the X they couldn't do that now because everybody has cell phones. If you saw the Jersey Devil or a Sam Squanch uh, <laughs> or or a UFO <laughs> or some kind of weird entity, you'd have a cell phone now. And it in the nineties, nobody had cell phones, so I would say that. Our, it, it was mo- it was a more imaginative time. Would you not agree? Oh, I totally agree with that, man. I, I, you know, if they were lucky, if they had like a Polaroid or a disposable camera. Remember those? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the ones you'd buy at like Walgreens and they would have like 20 pictures on them. And then you'd have to like, it was like a, basically a cardboard box with a tiny little plastic film roll in it. Oh, yeah. yeah I, I, I've got my, I've had my fair share of disposable cameras. Uh, yeah. You just like to drop off the whole camera to get developed. Yeah, and they they would take the film out and de- develop it, and then throw the camera away. Really, really bad for the environment. I got to tell you, probably was <laughs> now we got like two hundred million photos on our cell phone. You know, <laughs> yeah, it was so easy. It's so easy now to take a picture, and that's why I tell my little boy. He's eight. I, I was like, because he's like, Daddy, are there UFOs? I'm like, Well, let's put it this way. I think there's things flying around that we don't know what they are. That don't mean they're aliens. There's just too many cameras now, and that's what I miss about the '90s: the mystery, the mystery, and the the you could you could literally get lost a few blocks from your house, and you wouldn't have a cell phone, 
you might disappear into thin air and nobody would ever know. Now there's GPS tracers and trust me, I mean, I'm glad there are because God knows if I wander off someday, I want people to find me. All right, we we'll have, to, we'll have to talk about UFOs. I'll tell you about how I went to uh, Alien Con in LA a couple of years ago. Oh, sweet! I can't. That. that sounds awesome. We should <laughs> wait. We should wait till we get my father-in-law on to talk about that. Let's do that for two tape decks and a mixing board. I'm Jay Mack. I'm Sam Wade. Saying, stay, stay cosmic. cosmic.